So Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Our second reading is from Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, good evening, Uni Church. Great to be with you. Great to be able to share God's word with you. Let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray once again that you might help us to hear you and to hear what you have to say to us in this, your, your word, your Bible. And Lord, we pray that you might help us not just to be hearers of your word, but doers also. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last few weeks have been a wonderful time in this very famous and very fascinating book of Jonah. And it is a simple, if fascinating story. You know, chapter one, uh, God's call to Jonah to be his missionary prophet to the city of Nineveh. And he then promptly runs away. 
And then uh, chapter 2, God's fishy rescue as Jonah is saved from the storm of God's wrath by an enormous fish. The moment that we and every children's Bible that's ever been written will never forget. And then there's chapter 3, God's powerful word through the the sermon of Jonah uh, lands in the city of Nineveh. And the city repents and, and it's saved. And that'd be a nice place for the story to end, wouldn't it? That's in fact the place where I think most people think the story of Jonah ends. But actually Jonah has this very unexpected and often overlooked final chapter that we just read. And let's be blunt, the problem with Jonah chapter 4 is Jonah. He's a deeply unattractive and unsympathetic character. You know, he, he doesn't get his way and so he wants to die. And then he does get his way and he becomes all smug about it. And then he doesn't get his way again and he wants to die again. You know, uh, tantrum and then selfish and then another tantrum. You know, Jonah comes across more as a kind of melodramatic spoilt child rather than the great missionary prophet. It's the kind of behavior that I expect from my five-year-old that it frustrates me when he does it let alone a grown man who is a prophet of God. And so it's very easy to look down on Jonah and say, well, what possible thing could we have to learn from this man? And that, I think, is part of the point. Uh, The contrast between what Jonah is concerned about and what God is concerned about in this chapter, it couldn't be clearer. God is concerned for the lost He's compassionate towards them. He desires that they repent and that they be saved from his righteous anger at their wicked sin. And Jonah, on the other hand, Jonah, well, whatever he's concerned for, he's not concerned for that. And that begs the question, doesn't it? What are we concerned about? What are we worried about? What do we give our lives to? Do my concerns match up with God's concerns? Or am I perhaps a little bit more like Jonah than I'm willing to admit? And so I want to talk to you about three things today as we spend some time together in God's Word. I want to talk to you about uh, God's concern for the lost from verses 1 to 4. Then I want to talk to you about God's concern for the found in verses 5 to 9. And then I want to talk about God's concern for the found's concern for the lost in verses 10 and 11. It'll be really helpful if you can keep your your Bible's open in Jonah chapter 4 and there's an outline up on the screen if you're the kind of person who wants to take notes or just at least know when I'm about to finish. But first of all then, God's concern for the lost because the most incredible thing happened at the end of chapter 3 in verse 10, the kind of thing that we just don't hear about today. A whole city, a wicked city, a rebellious city, a pagan city called out to God for mercy And God showed them mercy. And it is perhaps the most unbelievable thing about the entire book of Jonah. An entire city, from the greatest of them to the least, they all repented. They all repented. And it's even more unbelievable than Jonah surviving in the belly of a fish for three days. And because all Nineveh changed their direction, their attitude towards God so too God changed his policy towards them. And God did not destroy them like he threatened, but instead he showed them great compassion. Uh, And of course, none of this caught God by surprise. 
No, God's plan was always to bless Nineveh. That's why he sent Jonah there in the first place. In fact, when we read that God relents or repents back there in chapter 3, verse 10, it is to us a, a wonderful reminder again that God truly does hear our prayers. He does listen to us when we pray. He does answer. But in this case, it's not somehow that God abandoned plan A and has somehow has gone to plan B. In fact, it's the other way around. It's that God abandoned plan B, his plan to, to bring judgment that he threatened upon Nineveh, so that he could stick with his preferred plan, his preferred plan for everyone, that he might bless them. Now, that's always God's plan. Now, God takes no pleasure in judgment, no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And that's one of my favourite things about the Bible, I must say. The people that God blesses in the Bible, they're always such terrible people, aren't they? They're always rotten sinners. And if it was only ever good people who found their way into God's friendship, then we would be worried, wouldn't we? If we had any sense of our own wickedness, you know, if all we could say is, yes, I can see how all these saints make it, but, you know, what about poor sinners like me? But the Bible is full of rotten people that God loves, that God forgives, that God invites into friendship and even makes them his children. And if there's hope for them, then there's hope for people like me and like you as well. Such is the deep grace of the God who sent his own son to save us. So for the people of Nineveh, God's mercy is excellent news. But for Jonah, it's terrible news. Which is strange. Uh, personally, uh, one preacher to another, I'd be very happy to preach a sermon of eight words that sees 120,000 people converted. But Jonah finds God's mercy maddening. In Jonah's world, people like the Ninevites say they don't deserve salvation. Why should people like that receive all the wonderful blessings of friendship with God? It's just not fair. And so Jonah takes his complaint to God in, in verse 2. Let me read it to you. Verse 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I, what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it would be better for me to die than to live. Now, well done to, to Sophie today for, for doing our Bible reading, because I reckon Jonah chapter 4, verse 2 is one of the hardest verses in the entire Bible to read. Because how do you read verse 2 angry? Because that's what Jonah is. Jonah is kind of frothing at the mouth angry. He's, he's furious with God for what he's done. And yet everything that verse 2 says is beautiful. Everything that verse 2 says is, is wonderful. Our God is a wonderful God. Our God is a God who, who doesn't give the wicked what they deserve. He doesn't punish the wicked like us instead. He shows mercy and grace. He, he's compassionate. He's slow to anger. Yes, he, he has a place for justice and for anger and for wrath. But his anger is slow. His anger is measured. Uh, 40 days he gives Nineveh to repent. And in the slowness of God's anger, you know, the patience of the Lord is always an opportunity for salvation, 2 Peter chapter 3. It leaves time for repentance, time to, to seek God and ask God to show mercy. And what does God promise he, does, he will do when we seek him and ask for mercy? He promises to give it. 
like he did to Nineveh. And this truth, this, this slowness of God's anger, this compassion of God, this was actually the pride and joy of God's ancient people, Israel. It was Moses at Mount Sinai to whom God revealed his glory, his, his godness, what makes God God. He put Moses in the cleft of the rock, he passed by and he spoke his name, he spoke his glory to Moses. And What did he say in, in Exodus 34 verse 6? He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. See, that's the glory of God. That's what makes God worth worshipping. Not his power, not his might, as great as those things are. But his love, his compassion, his mercy. That's what makes our God worth worshipping. That's his deep grace. And, of course, the rest of the scriptures are filled with wonderful moments again and again and again, celebrating these things about God. These are are beautiful things about God, beautiful to everyone, that is, except Jonah. What causes delight to many makes Jonah mad. And how different is the slowness of God's anger compared to the quickness of Jonah's? Now, of course, at one level, I do want to say what Jonah says is entirely correct here. Uh, what has happened to Nineveh isn't fair. Uh, it's not just. They did deserve God's punishment, and now God is giving them mercy. So he, he's giving them something that they just don't deserve. Uh, but what happened to Nineveh was better than justice, it's mercy. You know, the the least that anyone can ever expect from God is that they will receive justice. But the best that anyone can expect that they might receive from God is that he might show them mercy, that he might love them enough to save them and to rescue them. That's the best you can hope for. And what's ridiculous about Jonah's anger at this point is that Jonah himself has received the mercy of God. You know, it seems like he's forgotten just a few chapters ago, Jonah chapter 1, that, that he ran away from God, that he, he fled from the word of the Lord and that God, in his mercy, sent the fish to protect him from the storm of God's wrath. You know, that was the moment where Jonah, the runaway prophet, was given what he did not deserve. You know, Jonah's very happy when God is showing steadfast love and mercy to him but not when God is showing it to other people, it seems. And so God comes to Jonah in verse 4 and asks, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry about all of this? And you know, when I, when I read that, this is when I really want to kind of scream at the Bible and kind of yell at Jonah and say, no, Jonah, your, your anger, it's completely ridiculous. It's totally misplaced. Now is the time to be humble before God. Now is the time to, to repent and to ask God to show you mercy again. You know, stop being such an idiot, Jonah. But what does Jonah do? He goes off in a huff and has a sulk. And so we are left in no doubt about God's concern for the lost. But we're also left in no doubt that God's prophet does not share God's concern, much to our great distress. God's concern for the lost. But secondly then, what about God's concern for the found? 
God's concern for his found people, the people who he has found people like Jonah. Because some people assume that, you know, Jonah's dislike of God's mercy is an act of extreme patriotism. That's the way that many authors, if you read about it, they'll talk about it. Um, Nineveh was a great city. Nineveh was about to be, or, or perhaps already is, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire uh, would eventually become enemies of Israel. They'd even come down and invade, and they would take the ten northern tribes of Israel off into exile, perhaps as soon as 30 or 40 years after the events of Jonah here. And so some people claim that, you know, what Jonah is really doing here is he's upset with God for showing mercy to a future enemy of God's people. And even if that were true, I do think that love for one's own country and and its interests seems like a very weak excuse for you to desire that an entire city full of people be both uh, spiritually and eternally lost. But actually, I don't think it's true at all. And I think that it is the plant lesson of verses 5 to 9 that show us that that theory is just not right, that Jonah is actually no patriot at all. Uh, The plant shows us what God is concerned about here, that God is, he is concerned for his found people. He is concerned for Jonah. Uh, So in verse 5, we find Jonah in the mother of all sulks. He's refused to answer God's question about the rightness of his anger. And Jonah goes out to watch the city and it's miserable because it's a lose-lose situation. Uh, Jonah's watching, hoping that, you know, uh, somehow judgment might fall upon the city, even though he's already been told by God that God's not angry with Nineveh anymore. The judgment is not coming. Uh, The only one angry now is Jonah. And he's sitting there in the hot sun, watching over the city, just getting angrier by the minute. Uh, And God comes and deals very kindly with Jonah to teach him a lesson that he needs to learn. And it's actually a wonderful moment because, again, right here in verse 5 would be another place where God could end the story of, of, of Jonah, uh, with Jonah kind of a withered husk of a man, both spiritually and physically, a sunburnt prophet waiting for a judgment that will never fall. But God doesn't end the story there. Very kindly and very patiently, God comes to Jonah to teach him and to teach us a lesson. And because Jonah is not listening to the word of God anymore, uh, God uses a plant. Uh, God provides or appoints uh, a speedy plant to give Jonah some shade in verse 6. And that word uh, provides there is actually the same word that we read all the way back in chapter 1 verse 17 when God provided the fish to rescue Jonah from the sea. And suddenly, because this this plant has grown up and given Jonah some shade, suddenly he's happy, he's exceedingly happy. This is the best thing that's ever happened to him in his life. And then the next day in verse 7, God again provides a worm to kill the vine. And again, it's the same word there. And then God provides a hot sun and a scorching wind. God is, is doing all of these things because it's all part of the lesson that he is teaching Jonah. But now that the plant is gone, Jonah wants to die again. And so Jonah asks in verse 9, he says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And again, I kind of want to scream at Jonah in this story and say, look, last time, Jonah, you didn't say anything when you should have said something. This time, just don't say anything. Just don't make it worse. And so what does Jonah do? 
he makes it worse. He says, yes, I am angry about the plan. In fact, I'm angry enough that I wish I was dead. I like the shade and, and I'm angry that it's gone. Oh, Jonah. You know, by this point, he's kind of lost all credibility here. This is not a man who cares about global politics or international relations or the good of his own people. This is no patriot. This is just, this is a spoiled brat. This is a selfish child. His entire emotional spectrum is governed by sun hat or sunburn. Uh, Jonah is just so petty. His worldview is so small. It's just what seems to be happening to him at any one particular moment. A wind is hot. Wish I could die. Shade, happiest I've ever been in my life. Shade gone, wish I was dead again. That's, that's Jonah's emotional range in this chapter. Yeah, so what, are we, what sort of a lesson is, is God teaching to Jonah and to us here? Well, you know, uh, perhaps it is an ownership lesson. God owns everything. Listen, Jonah, your, your shade is gone, but do you think that I want this whole city to be gone? Or it could be a values lesson. Jonah, you're, you're really upset by the plan. You valued the plan. Should I, God, not be upset at, at people? Should I not value them? Should I not value this whole city, including the animals? Or it could be a danger lesson. You know, Jonah, some, some heat came upon you. You experienced some heat and, and it distressed you. But would it distress you to know that the Ninevites, they were threatened by a very great and eternal heat? Or perhaps it's a protection lesson. Jonah, you, you liked being protected. Why don't you like it when the Ninevites are protected? You liked it when you were saved, but you don't want them to be saved. And now it could be any of those things. It could be all of those things. But I wonder if the real lesson is a comfort lesson. Jonah liked being comfortable. And he was angry when his comfort was taken away. You know, uh, chapter 2, verse 6, I thank you, God, when you saved me with the fish. 4, verse 6, I thank you, God, that you have have sheltered me. But 4, verse 1, I'm angry when you've looked after these terrible people. Or or 4, verse 9, I'm angry that you've taken away my sheltering plan. Or even all the way back in chapter 1, when he ran away from God, I'm angry, God, that you would dare send me to a people that, that aren't worthy. You know, I'm thankful, God, when you do things for me. But I'm angry, God, when you do things for others. You see, I think what Jonah is saying here is he's saying, you know, don't ask me to pay a price. Don't ask me to be uncomfortable for the sake of of other people's comfort, even for the sake of other people's eternal comfort. Don't ask me to make sacrifices because I am pro-comfort and I am anti-cost. Don't take my shade away. Do take my enemies away. And if you cooperate, I'll be happy and and I will praise you. But if you don't, then I'll be unhappy and I'll sulk. Make me comfortable, God. That's what I want. That's what I worry about. That's what I pray for. And that's what can either make me burst with happiness or so angry that I'd rather be dead. Jonah is is so selfish in this chapter. He's so self-centered, he really only cares about himself. In fact, to Jonah, just a little bit of temporary comfort is worth more to him than even the eternal destiny of an entire city full of people. Jonah is the very opposite of God's loving concern for lost Nineveh. So what are we to make of, of Jonah then in this chapter? Well, I want to say to you, 
Jonah's just like all of God's people, isn't he? Saved, but sinful. Faithful, yet unfaithful. Capable of great godliness, capable of great ungodliness. And that is the reality for all of God's found people. That's the reality for all of us. After all, we are only God's people because he found us. It's not because we found him. It's not because we were good enough to deserve him. It's not because we have earned a place as one of his children. No, it's none of those things. It was whilst we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And so we are saved and we are secure, but we aren't perfect. And we're much less consistent than we would like to be. And that's true whether you're sitting in the pew or standing in the pulpit. And the real danger for all of God's people is that like Jonah, we we can put the blinkers on. And we can start caring about just the things that are right in front of us, just the things in our, in our own lives and just be worried about how God has treated me today. And we can, get, we can have our, our whole world can just be, become so small and, and self-centered and you know, we, we can get really angry with God when we feel like he's treating us unfairly. We can be angry with God when we can look out and see, well, you're, you're blessing them, but where's my blessing? Where's the good things that you promised me? And our comfort can become more important than God's concern for the lost. Or even more important than just loving other people. You know, I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking, you know, it's so often, it's it's me wanting to be comfortable that gets in the way of me loving other people like I know I should. Especially loving them enough to tell them the gospel, which is always uncomfortable, it's always risky. But as long as, as my comfort is more important to me than other people, other people, other people that God has made, other people uh, who are spiritually and eternally lost, but as long as my comfort is more important to me than they are, then I will always be a runaway like Jonah. I will always find plenty of reasons to run away from talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. So keep praying for God's found but inconsistent people. There is more than a little Jonah in all of us. Because yes, God is concerned for the lost and God is concerned for his found people, people like us. But last of all, God is also concerned about his found people's concern for the lost. God is also concerned that that our hearts are like his hearts, that our concerns are like his concerns. And so come to verse 10, would you, right at the end there, because God asks Jonah one last question in verses 10 and 11. He says this, he says, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And also many animals. Jonah, you you don't want me to be concerned about Nineveh, but shouldn't I? You love the plant, even though it was here today and gone tomorrow. 
Your concern is for the temporary comforts of this world. Should I not be concerned for the eternal comfort of 120,000 people and a great many cattle also? Should I not love this city? And should you not join me in loving this city too? What cost, Jonah, are you willing to pay for the eternal comfort of these people? Or do you just want your own comforts even if it costs them everything. And just as God shoots that arrow of a question at the heart of Jonah, Jonah just disappears from the story. And it ends. We never actually get to hear what Jonah's response is. We never get to actually hear whether or not Jonah has truly understood the lesson of the plant. But that is when we realize that that's because God wasn't aiming for Jonah's heart. God was aiming for our hearts. And it's in us that God wants to cultivate a deep concern for the lost of our world and our country and our city and our suburb and our street and our family and our university or our workplace or our school. All along, God has actually been asking us Should I not be concerned for the lost? Should I not overflow with compassion for them? Should I not weep for them? Should I not bleed for them? And should you not join me? When the Lord Jesus Christ came in Luke chapter 15, he taught that for heaven, the best day is the day when a sinner repents. When the lost are found, God rejoices. And Jesus meant what he said. Jesus had the same heart of concern, the same heart of compassion that God did. And Jesus was prepared to pay the price for the eternal comfort of lost people. He was willing to give up his comforts. He was willing to give up all the comforts of heaven. Something will celebrate in just a few weeks' time at Christmas. He was willing to give it all up so that we might receive eternal comfort. Jesus was willing to say, my life for yours, my comfort for your comfort. And Jesus did overflow with compassion for the lost. He wept for the lost, he bled for the lost, and he even died for the lost. So that the lost could be found. So that wicked people, like Nineveh, could receive something that they did not deserve. The mercy of God. Jesus paid the price of comfort. Although he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty we could become wonderfully and unbelievably and eternally rich. And so here is a wonderful book, this book of Jonah. A book that looks out at our world and and all of its lost people, and God says, I want them to be saved. And I'm going to make it possible for them to be saved. I'm going to send them my one and only son. And then here is a book that also says that God looks out over his church, over his found people like us, and finds that, yes, we are rightly rejoicing in being saved. But then he asks us, his found people, do you share my concern for the lost? Do you have the same heart? that I have? Do you share the same concern that I have? And we do need to see that there is 
a Jonah in each one of us. I mean, just think for a moment. How, think about the steps that we take to arrange our comfort. I mean, lifestyle is the drug of choice for most people in this fair city of ours. You may not realise it yet, but most people come to Perth because they're either here to have that lifestyle that they so desire or they're here to earn it. And some of you are studying and working very hard right now, getting ready for you to take your place too. Some of you are even starting work next year. You're about to kind of receive that first real paycheck in your life. Have you thought about what you might do with it? Or is it all going to be about you and your own comforts? Now, when I first came to Perth, I remember everyone asked me, this is five and a half years ago now, I realise, but when I first came to Perth, everyone asked me, you know, how are you liking living in Perth? It's nice, isn't it? It's a nice city. And I've got to admit, now after five and a half years, I can say, yes, it is a nice city. Now, I'm the one who asks the question of people when I find out they've just moved to Perth. Yes, Perth, it's a lovely town. Jonah would have loved it here. And that scares me. Jonah would have been very comfortable. And we're actually so affluent in this city of ours that we can even kind of, we can have all of the lifestyle, we can have everything we desire and we can imagine that somehow you can just kind of throw Jesus into the shopping cart as well. But are our concerns any different from the people around us? Are our homes any different? Are our cars any different? Are our phones any different? Are our dreams any different? Are our diaries any different? Think of all the time and energy and money and genius that we employ to ensure our comfort. If only we applied the same vigour to seeking the lost. If only the best day for us was the day that a sinner repented. If only we rejoiced in those days even more than we rejoice in the other days when we receive a new little temporary comfort. We do need to see that there is a Jonah in each one of us. And so what I want to say to you today is, here right now in this room, there are actually two types of people. Some of you are are here in church, but you're not in Christ and you know it. You know that you haven't yet come to the Lord Jesus Christ to receive the forgiveness of your sins, to receive that thing that you don't deserve, but that God freely offers you in Jesus Christ. And you need to come to Jesus. And you need to ask for his forgiveness and for his new life, and you will receive what he promises to give. But there's also a whole lot of us here who are found people. We know we're Christian, we know that we're saved, and we rightly rejoice in all of that. But we also need to say to God, God, would you help me to be increasingly available and compassionate? Because I know the tendency of my heart. I know my heart is so much like Jonah. I know that I'm worried about my own comforts and my own future. And I'm worried about those things more than I'm worried about the lost. And so, Lord, please help me. My heart overflows to me and not to the lost. And unless you work on my heart, God, I know it's only going to get worse. And we do need to to see ourselves as we truly are. We do need to let Jonah be a mirror to each one of our souls. And then we need to come to the only one who can help us. We need to come to our God. And so let's do that now as we pray.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been found. And on that day, heaven rejoiced. For that, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We praise you that you are the great missionary, the great sender of salvation. It belongs to you, our God. And what a joy it is to know the God who is slow to anger and rich in compassion. Yet, Lord, we cannot read Jonah and not be reminded that our hearts are not yet your heart. Our concerns are not yet your concerns. And so we pray, Lord, give us a heart like yours. Give us a heart that overflows with compassion and mercy and deep grace. Hearts for whom the best day is the day a sinner repents. Hearts that overflow to the lost, just as you overflow to us in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.